thank you so much for all the hospitality that has been shown uh, to me uh, today and last night also. I uh, appreciate uh, Brother D.O. and Brother George for and their wives for a great lunch uh, this afternoon. I appreciate Jared and Anna for opening their homes. And believe it or not, Duke's doghouse does sleep well. And so I, I, I greatly, greatly appreciate their hospitality. And it's good. again, it is great to be here. A couple of weeks ago, Brother Mike came to Rabin County and, and preached in a gospel meeting. And on Tuesday night, we had several from the community there. And, and Brother Hickson gave a, a great sermon on the Lord's church. And he offered the invitation, as we always do, and, and inviting those who have not put Christ on in baptism, have not have washed their sins away uh, through baptism, to, to come forward and do that. And after the service, one of our members was approached by one of the people in the community. And, and all they got out of that sermon was the invitation. And they asked him, they or asked this, this member, they said, uh, well, I don't understand why y'all are so big on baptism. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. And that member knew what she wanted to say, but sadly she couldn't go to the Bible and show her. And so she asked me, she said, can you preach a sermon on this thief on the cross? And how do we answer those? Because Peter did admonish Christians in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you in meekness and fear. And I want us to look at the thief on the cross and we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask the Bible, can we really be saved today like the thief on the cross? I don't want this sermon to come across as, as being mean, mean-hearted, mean-spirited, because it is not. We, we want to be ready always because there's souls at jeopardy. There are people out there that are teaching people that they can do a certain thing that is not in line with the Bible to reach salvation. And they're losing their souls. And, and so we need to be ready always. And, and, and so we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask the Bible and we're going to look at the Bible this evening. There's going to be a lot of, of scripture reading, so I invite you to get your Bibles ready to to turn to the passages tonight as we look at them individually. And we're going to ask ourselves, can a person today be saved like the thief? The argument again is, is many, and many of y'all may have been already had this brought up to you. I know I had in the past. Uh, with, with people say, well, the thief wasn't baptized. And that's their, their argument. And this, the, the first point here is secondary to, to the main points. But it is something we must get through to them. When someone argues and says, well, the thief wasn't baptized again, this is secondary, they can't prove that he was not baptized. And we need to explain that to them. You cannot prove that he was not baptized. And they say, well, well look in Luke chapter 23 here. And we see that he wasn't baptized. And as we know in, in Matthew chapter 27, when the two thieves were hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and Jesus was in between them. And according to Matthew, they both began to mock Jesus in Matthew chapter 27. And then in Luke's account here, we have the, the thief with a change of heart. And if you have your Bibles, look there in Luke chapter 23. And we'll begin in verse 39. And the Bible says, And one of the mal malefactors 
which were hanged railed on him or mocked him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive a due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily or truly I say unto thee, thou, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. We don't know anything else other than what the Bible says here about the thief. We don't know his name. We don't know what he stole. We don't know from whom he stole it. And so for one to, to, to make that affirmation that he was not baptized, one can't do that. Again, it's secondary if he was or wasn't. When I was in law enforcement, when, when we would go and work a case, we had two outcomes or two, two ways to collect evidence. We had the actual evidence. Then we had what we called circumstantial evidence. That was evidence that you really couldn't see, but, but you could almost lean toward, yes, this person had done that. And let's think about the thief. We, we know about the background of the thief. We don't know much about it, but we know about a, the background of a man named John the Baptist. And we know in, in Malachi it says that, that he was going to prepare the way for the Lord, Malachi 3 and verse 1. And we know in John's uh, gospel account, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, that John says there was a man sent from God whose name was John, talking about John the baptizer. The same came for a witness and to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe he was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And when he was sent to bear witness of that light, what did he do? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 and let's look at verses 3 through 6. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. It says, For this is he that was spoken to the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Look at verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan and were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Matthew says... Those in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, or and, and the region around about Jordan, rather. They were baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. In Mark, Mark chapter 1, in Mark's account, it says almost the same exact thing. Mark chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 4, it says, John did baptize in the wilderness. And what did he do? He baptized in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Look at verse 5. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. And I ask myself, 
This man, if, if, if he knew nothing about Christ, why did he ask Jesus to remember him in his kingdom? Someone had to tell him. Someone had to have told him in the circumstantial evidence, and I'm not going to say this man was baptized. You will not hear me say he was 100% because we can't prove that. We can't prove he was, they can't prove he wasn't. But the circumstantial evidence is going to say he very well could have been. But that's the secondary argument to the actuality of the thief on the cross. And let's look at that. Let's look at the actuality of, of this argument. Can one really be saved like the thief? And since we're in Mark, we're going to stay in Mark chapter 2. And we're going to look at the authority of Christ. And we're going to see that Christ had all power to save while he was here on earth. Mark chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 5. And the Bible reads, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were a certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that, that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take thy, up thy bed, and go thy way unto thine house. So Jesus had the authority to forgive sins while he was here on earth. He did that several times. Let's look at one more instance in John. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 1. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The Bible reads, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And, they said, and this they said, tempting him that they might have, have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard, heard it, being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. Listen to what Jesus does. He says, and, and Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Jesus forgave her. And he says, Go and sin no more. Jesus had that power to forgive their sins while he was on earth. 
the same thing he did for this man while he was still alive. In Luke chapter 23, the, the text we just read, we saw that, that Jesus was still obviously alive. And Jesus even forgave those who were crucifying him. In verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus had that power. Jesus had that authority. Talking to one man back last year, and he made the same claim, well, the thief wasn't baptized. And I asked him, was Jesus still alive? When he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There will be no one that says, no, he was dead already. No, he was, all, he was still alive. Jesus had that power, that authority. Not only did he have the authority, but there was also the abolishment of the old law. Christ saved the thief under that old law. Again, Luke 20, 23 and 39 through 40, 49, Jesus was still alive. The old law was still in effect. They were still under the law of Moses. So the baptism of the Great Commission that we have today, that we are to partake into, to wash away our sins, was not in effect when Jesus hanged on the cross. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and let's look at three quick verses. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were Jewish. They had grown up under the law of Moses, and now they were being brought into the law of Christ. And they were having, having trouble leaving that old Jewish system and coming and just following the New Testament. And the Hebrew writer says here in verse 15, And for this cause, he, Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of, of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. If I were to make a will today, and, and we have three children, and I were to give Micah item number A, give Reese item number B, and Gunner item number C, and that was going to be in my will. That was their inheritance. Could they give it, get it while I was still alive? No, absolutely not. I would have to die before they could actually get it as according to the will. But let's say I have that will, and I decide, well, I really don't want to give Micah item number A. I want to change that, and I want to give item A to, to Reese and item B to Gunner, and we're going to turn around and give item C to Micah and I were to die and here I have two wills which will would they look at the first one or the latest one the court would look at the latest one the second will brothers and sisters and dear friends we have the second will 
here in the New Testament. This is the will that was established upon Christ's death. It abolished the old law. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we had almost the same scenario as we do in the book of Hebrews. In, in the region in Galatia, the churches there in that region in Galatia, there were Jewish Christians coming in and saying that they had to prescribe to part of the old law if they truly wanted to be a Christian. And Paul addresses that here, and we're going to read the first 20 verses here under, and, and see how Paul talks about the abolishment of that old law. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you or tricked you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. They saw Jesus. They saw him being crucified. Verse 2, this only would I learn of you. Receive ye the spirit, that miraculous gifts, by the works of the law, the law of Moses, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so, so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are, are now made perfect by the flesh or the law of Moses? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He says, are, are, for what you're suffering in, in under the law of Christ, is it in vain because you're still under the Old Testament? No, that's a redundant question he's asking. Look at verse 5. He says, he therefore that ministereth, to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, the law of Moses, or by the hearing of faith, that New Testament system. Verse 6, Even as Abraham believed God and was accounted unto him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham? And the Scripture foreseeing that God would just, justly the, justify rather the heathen, the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many are as of the works of the law under the curse, for, the law, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, talking about the law of Moses, but the man that doeth them shall live, uh, the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, it is, as it is written, Cursed is every man, everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come into the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be not a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or added thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many but as of one and to thy seed which is Christ and this I say that the covenant that 
was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul if it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Talking about this law that he gave to Moses 430 years later. Look at verse 19. Wherefore then severeth the law? It was added because of the transgressions. For how long? How long, Paul, was that law added? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not the mediator of one, but God is of one. Paul tells them there in the region of Galatia that the Old Testament had been abolished. Now, we're all applicable to the New Testament. Continue on here in verse 21. He says, Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there hadn't been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Talking about the Moses, the law of Moses. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith, that, that system of faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up into faith, which should, be afterward, which should afterwards be revealed. Where the, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after the, that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be in Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul says... The, the law brought us up to that New Testament. Brought us up to that New Testament and now it's done its, its job. It, the, the law had a place. It was to bring us up to Christ and it's done that. And now it has been abolished. Christ now saves us under that New Testament. That, that perfect law of liberty. As James says in James chapter 1 and verse 25. As Paul just clearly stated in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21. Let's go back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And begin in verse 6. The Bible reads, And now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry. How much... Also, he is, by, or by how much also, is he the mediator of a better covenant or agreement or testament, which was established upon better promises? For if the first covenant had been faultless, then there should have been no place sought for the second. Why was the first covenant not faultless? Look at verse 8. For finding fault with them, they couldn't keep it. The, the children of Israel could not keep the law of Moses. He saith, Behold, the days shall come saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to that 
covenant to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. They will no longer be on stone tablets. The, 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 those who were speaking, the, the apostles and the disciples were being inspired directly from the Holy Spirit to speak the laws and write them in their hearts. And they will be to them, or, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Under the law of Moses, they were born physically into a covenant. Had to wait till they got old enough to be explained to them why they were in the, the, under the old law. Why they were in that covenant now, then. Today, under the New Testament, they would already know. They are taught first before they enter into the covenant. Verse 12, For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. And that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Christ now saves us under that New Testament. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come with the, with, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings... An offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. And then he said, Lo, I came to do thy will. O God, he taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which we will, will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are now charged under that New Testament. Christ now saves us under that New Testament. He now does it by the will of God, by what God says he, how he saves us. And we can't be saved like the thief. It would be great if, if, if I could stand up here and say, oh, all you have to do is, is, is have faith like the thief and you'll be saved. But brethren, we have the book that we are supposed to, like I said this morning, be able to give book, chapter, and verse for everything we know. Everything we do. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. Speak of the oracles of God. Christ can't save us like he did before his death. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and then we have one more verse and we will be done for the evening. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The Hebrew writer says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, talking about the old law, and of faith toward God, uh, of the doctrine of baptism, and the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we do, if God permit, for it is impossible for those who once were enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, 
and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. In other words, if they go back to that old law, it's not going to renew them again into repentance, seeing that they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. If we say, I want to be saved like the thief on the cross, according to what the Hebrew writer is saying, is I'm saying that the blood of Christ doesn't mean anything to me. I'm saying Christ's blood that he shed on the cross wasn't good enough for me. How arrogant can I be to say that Christ's blood wasn't good enough for me? Christ's blood was good enough for me. It is good enough for me. It is sufficient enough to save us. I can't be saved like the thief because the thief, one last passage, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, in two verses, verses 9 and 10, the thief had a different faith than what we are commanded to have. He had a different belief than what we, had, we are commanded to have. Romans chapter 10, beginning of verse 9. If thou shalt confess with the Lord, or with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, how? What are we supposed to believe in thine heart, Paul? That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Could the thief believe that Jesus was raised from the dead when he was on the cross? Jesus hadn't died yet. Jesus hadn't died yet. I cannot, according to the law of Christ, according to the New Testament, be saved like the thief. Brethren, many people want to be saved like the thief. Not because they're being arrogant, but sadly because they just don't know any better. They have been taught all their life one thing. And they've been taught that baptism doesn't save you. I went to a, a certain religious organization's tent meeting last year. And the man who was preaching actually said that baptism doesn't save you. And baptism alone will not save you. If I don't have the faith that I'm supposed to have... If I don't repent of my sins, if I don't confess Jesus, then all I'm doing in the water is getting wet. But if I have all the faith in the world, if I repent of my sins and I confess with, with my mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and I'm not baptized, I'm doing nothing. That's not my words. That's in the Bible. As we close our Bibles, this evening and as we take out our songbooks and we get ready to sing this invitation song maybe there's one here that wants to be saved and now they realize that they haven't done all the things of obedience that God commands they have not taken that time to to search the scriptures but tonight we have and if there is one here that needs to be saved needs to come to Christ and put Christ on in baptism. 
if they have that faith, that faith, that, that belief that, that Jesus was truly raised from the dead, as Romans 10 and verse 9 says, if they, if they are ready to repent of their sins according to Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, turn to God and say, it's God, it's not about me anymore, it's about you, I'm going to do what your will says. If they're ready to confess Jesus before those in attendance, according to Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, then they can be baptized. To have their sins washed away, Acts 2 and verse 38, Acts 22 and verse 16, they can come up a new creature as we talked about this morning, leaving that old man behind, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4, and they can be added to the Lord's church, Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. They can be saved, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Maybe you're saying, you're, you're here and you're saying, well, that's great, I've already done that. But you're not living the life you should. Maybe it's through a public sin. Maybe it's through neglect. We're here to pray with you and pray for you. James says the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If there's any way we can help you and assist you, the invitation is yours. It's together we stand as we sing.